Hello of you from the couch listeners. This is Jen. As you know, we had a little bit of an issue last week. Our episode didn't come out last week, so we had to skip a week. We had this epic battle between Richard and IT, technology. It just was not working. (laughs) IT kicked Richard's ass in the end. Our computer kind of went down. Programming went down. So we were not able to actually get the episode produced and out for you guys. Yeah, I, I, I was bested. I was bested by a computer that decided it was going to rebel against me. You G- fought hard, though. You really did. I, did. <laughs> I tried to nurse that thing along. <laughs> it didn't happen. But yeah, so our, our, our computer overlords are here, guys. They, they have... They have instructed me that I will not be using that computer anymore. <laughs> but we have great news. Yeah. Today, we're going to release two episodes for you. This is a catch-up, right? This is the catch-up episode. Yeah, yeah. So we're going to finish out our MCU phase, and then we're going to start into our next season today. Yeah, so we're doing two things at once. Yes. We're juggling. We're doing two things at once, and it's tax season, So, which, which to me, tax season is always about doing like eight things at once. Multitasking. Yeah. <laughs> so this is, this, is, this is a piece of cake, right? Yes. It's easy. It's yes. easy. All right. Well, without further ado, here is your long-awaited, long-awaited, for all like 15 of you that are listening, <laughs> the long-awaited Avengers wrap-up for MCU season one. Uh, MCU Phase One, Season One, right? Yes. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. you know, I just like throwing numbers and shit. You know, whatever. <laughs> so this is it. This is the end of Phase One, the end of Season One. Welcome back to a view from the couch. My name is Rich, and I'm Jen. And today we're going to wrap up season one by finishing out phase one of the Marvel Cinematic Universe with the Avengers, or as it's known in Britain, Marvel's Avengers Assemble. Hmm, Okay. Because in Britain, there was already a spy series in the 1960s called the Avengers. Oh, okay. So this was called Avengers Assemble to differentiate it from the definitely not superhero-y Spy series. Well, I suppose that makes sense. Yeah. We talk a little bit about, you know, how we've, you know, what is what is our relationship with the characters or the film. You and I have talked throughout this whole process here for season one about which movies you've seen in the theaters. You definitely saw this one in theaters, yes? This one I know I saw in okay. theater. I remember going to the theater and whoever I was going with... I was going on and on about how it was so cool that they somehow pulled this together and had all these actors in multiple movies and even some of these people that had small parts like Hawkeye or Black Widow Mm -hmm. pulling in and kind of just making this one big cohesive story. And I just thought it was such a cool idea and such a neat thing. And I remember having this conversation and the other person not really caring. <laughs> and so I know I saw this one in the theater. I went and saw this with people of my own kind, geeks, nerds, my friend Paul, my friend Amity. We, I've, I've seen this movie, I saw this movie in theaters six times, four times, four times in theaters, 
twice by myself, once with Paul, once with Amity. Although I might have gone with Amity more than once, actually, now that I think about it. Anyway, sometime, somewhere between four and six times I saw this in theaters. Now, if you've been listening from the jump, you know that I've never been a big Avengers fan. So why did I go and see this in the theaters four to six times? Because I think what it really represented was comic book movies coming into their own. You know, X-Men was accepted. Spider-Man was accepted. This was taking a bunch of C-list characters, as I've said before, putting them all together, and then making one movie where they all come together and making it a big event movie. Mm-hmm. It felt very comic booky. There was the there's the crossover event, right? Mm-hmm. That's what this felt like. Yeah. And so I was very excited about the idea of this and what this could mean for the X-Men at some point. Could the X-Men fight the Avengers at some point? We may get that. They'll never fight these Avengers. Right. But we will get, I'm I'm sure there's going to get, we're going to get something where the X-Men and the Avengers come into conflict. I was appreciative of all of the hard work that went into creating this universe. Yeah, it's flawed. Yeah, there's gaps, there's things that don't make sense, but by and large, nobody had ever pulled anything like this off before. Not an American film, you know? So that's why I saw this in theaters that many times. And on top of it, so we're going to talk about something problematic. We're going to talk about Joss Whedon. Mm -hmm. But... At the time, in 2012, Joss Whedon was like a god in nerd nerd world, mm-hmm. you know? Right. I mean, there were literally shirts that said, Joss Whedon is my, is my, is my god now, mm-hmm. <laughs> or uh, stuff like that. And, I mean, I was a huge Buffy the Vampire Slayer fan. I was a huge fan of Firefly. I love Joss Whedon. The dude had written a, an arc in um, X-Men, Astonishing X-Men, or not, was it, it was, was Astonishing X-Men. He had relaunched the Astonishing X-Men that had been a miniseries into a long-form regular series, and he had written the first 24 issues of that and then a giant-sized capping issue that just kind of set the tone for, like, going forward. And so this dude was, like, like the, the nerd god, And here he was doing like the biggest Marvel or biggest superhero movie ever at this point, you Mm -hmm. know? So I was there for it. I was there for all of this. I was, I was a hundred percent in. Yeah. So, yeah. I only went to the theaters once, but since it's been (laughs) at home and streaming at home and stuff, I don't even know how many times I've seen this. I have seen this one a lot. Yes, Absolutely. Well, without further ado, then why don't we jump in? Why don't you give us the casting crew? I mean, everybody knows this. We're not. We're not going to. We've. I've talked already about my history with the characters. I've only read a handful of Avengers comics. We don't need to say that again. I don't think. So let's just jump in. Give us the casting crew, and then we'll talk. We'll talk plot. All right. So not only was this directed by Joss Whedon, it was co-written by Joss Whedon and Zach Penn. We're bringing back a whole bunch of actors for this. We got Robert Downey Jr. as Tony Stark, Chris Evans as Steve Rogers, Chris Hemsworth as Thor, 
Scarlett Johansson as Natasha Romanoff, Jeremy Renner as Clint Barton, Tom Hiddleston as Loki, Clark Gregg is in here as Agent Coulson. Kobe Smulders is Agent Hill. Now she's not coming back. This is her first time. I was going to say, isn't that? I thought that was her first time. Right? Yep. We haven't seen her before. Yep. Okay. And then Samuel L. Jackson as Nick Fury. And replacing Edward Norton as Bruce Banner, we have Mark Ruffalo. So that's a character actor change we have here. So Mark Ruffalo, I want to talk about. And I think, I think I've soured on him as Bruce Banner a little bit. But I think at the I think originally I was okay with it. He he plays so much more meek and nerdy in this movie than he does in any of the other films. He's he's not really as meek and nerdy, which is what Banner should be. Banner should not be you know you know brash or arrogant or anything like that. He is very like standoffish and forgettable really is what he's supposed to be he's supposed to be forgettable he's a nobody and when it's only when he becomes hulk that people remember him you know mm-hmm. i think he plays that much better in this than he will later especially in infinity war but yeah so i mean i was kind of okay with this at the time but i think going back and looking at it i'm re- i'm rediscovering it this time that his performance as hulk as as banner started out actually a lot better than I give it credit for now. So, Louis Leterrier, mm-hmm. who I think he was the director of The Incredible Hulk. Right? Yeah, he directed the second movie in the MCU. He actually wanted Mark Ruffalo instead of Edward Norton, but oh. it didn't work out at that time and whatnot. So, Edward Norton came. But then, of course, this time there was contract negotiation breakdown between Edward Norton and Marvel. And so then Ruffalo was in. But now Mark Ruffalo is friends with Edward Norton. So he said he did talk to Edward Norton about taking on the role and stuff and has talked to him after. And he said that Ruffalo does have issues with Banner struggling with Hulk all over again when it seems in The Incredible Hulk at the end that he's starting to come to terms and able to deal with it a little better, which we talked about yeah, and we in see The Incredible that, Hulk. But we see that in this movie. There's still that chance. But I think that if things get out of hand, he doesn't have a complete control over it. Right. He can control Transformers. Right. So that was one of Edward Norton's big hangups, too, with this version of the Hulk, I guess. Oh, with the script? But I don't know if... It, uh, negotiations just broke down and they weren't able to get a contract in place. So that's they a, just <laughs> moved on from him and went with Mark Ruffalo. That, that's so. Hollywood speak for we don't want him in this movie anymore. So, <laughs> Yeah. Now, just because you said your opinion on Mark Ruffalo, yeah. just my opinion, I, I think he does a good job. Now, mm-hmm. I am not a comic book reader. I don't have the history with Bruce Banner and Hulk like you do. Mm-hmm. So I'm just approaching it from the couple movies. I didn't watch the TV shows. I thought it was stupid. I, I, I don't have a history with Hulk at all. Mark Ruffalo would argue that the TV show actually was not stupid. I know, you. and a lot of people do think that. And that's absolutely okay because everybody has their likes and dislikes, mm-hmm. and that's okay. But... I like him in this. I think he does play a nerdy scientist. I think he's got good chemistry with the other actors. I think he plays witty and kind of off of like, he plays witty off of Natasha. Now, Natasha, we find out she's, you know, really good at what she does. Mm -hmm. And he kind of 
plays off of her a little bit and mm-hmm. makes her a little uneasy. I, I enjoy his interactions with other characters. So I really like Mark, Mark Ruffalo. And I, I, I get later, it's a little different. Like some of the movies later, I think they're trying to go for too much comedy. And some of that's at what he's doing. And I kind of agree, but I don't know if it's really his portrayal so much or if it's maybe the script or the directing I mean it could be a combination of everything who knows but I do enjoy him and I just kind of wanted to throw out you know I kind of like him actually I I like all these actors in this movie so I'm 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 cool with everybody I mean we're not disagreeing about Ruffalo here in this movie at Mm -hmm. all I think he does a fine job in this I think if he had kept up what he did in this movie in later movies I wouldn't have a problem with him at all so yeah I mean I as much as I miss Edward Norton in his presence in this, I do think that Mark Ruffalo and Scarlett Johansson playing off each other, their chemistry is very, very good. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, there are things in this that that he does very, very well in this movie. And I, and I, I appreciate his, his, his portrayal of Banner in this movie more now after having watched where it goes and not being satisfied with it and coming back to the beginning of it mm-hmm. and seeing it for the first or seeing the first his first iteration of it again mm-hmm. and saying you know what he really he really nailed it i really wish he hadn't tweaked it too much right so yeah right yep yeah also just real quick mark ruffalo said that he was told he cannot work out so he felt really weird being in this in the rooms with all these other actors who are all buff and strong and stuff and he was told you cannot work out cuz you need to be kind of soft and doughy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's he's he should not be Banner should not be ripped. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Banner For being sure. ripped is, is is kind of anathema. Yeah. For sure. All we right. we have talked about Zach Penn before though. Zach Penn okay. is the he's the guy that he wrote uh X-Men 2 and X-Men The Last Stand, he wrote The Incredible Hulk. Oh, okay. okay. So I think that what we have here, or at least he co-wrote The Incredible Hulk, because I know Edward Norton had some non-credited mm-hmm. um, story influence there. But I think that what we get here is a is a natural offshoot and a good evolution of that Hulk character because what we see at the end of Incredible Hulk, and I just want to address that here again real quick, what we see at the end of the Incredible Hulk is not him having complete control over the beast. It is simply he knows how to transform himself now at will. Mm -hmm. And what happens with Loki is Loki messes with that. Loki messes with him. And they and and then the stress of that situation is what actually causes him to transform. Mm-hmm. He loses control of that. So like he can maintain control of when he can change and when he can't, as evidenced by the fact that he turns around and says, "That's my secret cap. I'm always angry." Yeah, and then and he just, just hulks out right? right at the end of the movie. But in the at the beginning, it's more of a stress. You realize that he has a tenuous control over this, mm-hmm. which is what I appreciate about this. Because what, where did he? How did he get to that point? From the end of the action in Incredible Hulk to that epilogue, to now makes more sense if you think about it. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. So yeah. So All I don't right. want to say Edward Norton's wrong, but Edward Norton I think is wrong. So <laughs> he might be. He might be. All right. Now, shall we talk about this story? I'm very excited. Let's do it. Get Let's talk. This. Yes. Okay. Okay, so in deep space, Loki, remember him from Thor? He fell off the Bifrost Bridge at the end of the- And we couldn't the, figure um, out where he landed. We couldn't figure out where he landed. He didn't land on Earth. Apparently, he landed somewhere out in space where he meets the leader of the Chitari. 
And this Chitari leader offers Loki the planet Earth to rule as long as Loki gets him the Tesseract. You remember the Tesseract from Captain America, yeah? Yep, yep. That was the whole thing with the Red Skull and blah, 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 right? At a remote S.H.I.E.L.D. facility on Earth, director Nick Fury consults with Eric Selvig, who is now leading a team of scientists who are experimenting on the Tesseract. But too late, they realize that the Tesseract can open wormholes that work both ways. Hawkeye actually says something about, well, what's coming from the other side. Mm -hmm. And Nick Fury, the director of S.H.I.E.L.D., an intelligence agency, looks at him and goes, what do you mean both sides? And he's like, well, it's a door, right? Door works both ways. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm so glad that I ignore this, because if you think about it, why the fuck would Nick Fury not know this? Or suspect, like, hey, that's possible. Right. Nick Fury suspects everything and everyone. Why would he be like, huh? It works both ways? <laughs> What are you talking about, Raggy? I do think they were trying to show us that Clint Barton is smart, too. He knows some things. But it doesn't necessarily come across completely that uh, way. Okay. I mean, I'll give you that. But (laughs) Nick Fury is smarter. He should should know that. Yeah. 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 You you solve this by saying, yeah, we know that. Also, I have a question. And I don't remember if it's in this movie or if it's in Captain America. But we see Howard Stark retrieve the Tesseract. That is in Captain America. What, 70 years ago or something like that? Mm-hmm. Where the hell's the Tesseract been till now? There's a dropped line where later Fury's going to go to to go and get Steve Rogers and say, hey, we got a mission for you. He shows him the paperwork and Cap says, oh, Hydra's secret weapon. And, and Fury says... Yeah, they fished, Howard Stark fished this out of the ocean when they were looking for you. Mm-hmm. So they've had it. Right, but so they just had it like in a back room labeled, you know, display A or something like that, or evidence Possibly. A. Or, you know, Until they had the right team to work on it, maybe. But so you're telling me Howard Stark mm-hmm. didn't have the ability to work on it? How do we know that Howard Stark didn't use that to create his arc reactor? Isn't that what they were just talking about? How that they created the arc reactor with that technology? And that's what's powering Stark Tower. Okay. Now, Renewable energy, right? Now, doesn't this Tesseract end up having a gem in it later? Yes. I have questions about the Tesseract. Okay, because I'm confused about the Tesseract. Now- This is is rewrite stuff. That's what it is. Okay, okay. Yeah. All right. I'm okay with that then because I understand you've got this big world building and stuff is going to happen, but- Okay, but you can't betray what you've set up already. Yeah, I'm just confused because I was like- and again, most of the time, I don't care about this. But we're talking about this on the podcast, so I feel like I need to bring it up that yeah. it doesn't make sense to me that they've had this thing for this long and they're now just doing all this testing that's starting to do things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The opening of the portal may not have been something that they were able to do. Maybe that's what it is. Yeah, yeah. it could be. Maybe they weren't able to trigger a portal until now. We, we know that Stark had been using it to create technology. We know that that S.H.I.E.L.D. has been using it to create weapons of mass destruction. We're going to find that out later. They've mm-hmm. been doing experiments on it. Those are Hydra weapons. What did Johann Schmidt make his weapons out of? I thought he had the weapons before the Tesseract. 
Remember we had the bunch of people in the room and one of the guys goes, Berlin is on this map. And then Johann Schmidt zaps them with his Tesseract gun. Yeah. So he didn't, so he had the weapons, but he didn't have the stuff until he got the Tesseract. Mm -hmm. Now, S.H.I.E.L.D. has the Hydra weapons. And the Tesseract. And the Tesseract. So I'm assuming they're they're trying to backwards uh, figure out how these are created, but they haven't been able to do it, maybe? Yeah. No, I I think what's going on here is they have this... They have this cube, right? And they've got these weapons. They don't want to make the same weapons. They want to make more advanced weapons because those are, like it or not, weapons from the 40s, right? Mm-hmm. I-, I think that... Still more advanced than anything we've got now. Tr- true, but <laughs> if you apply the Tesseract technology to current day weaponry, you have more advanced technology. You have more advanced weaponry. I think that and if you look at the readout that Tony's going to show... Nick Fury and say, "Hey, what what's going on here? It looks like like this advanced weapon, like this advanced like missile that's going to like. I think it says somewhere on there like the travel distance is like massively different from what normal okay, stuff is." Okay, hold so. on, hold on. I remember now. They're they are asking him why they're building these weapons, and he says because of him, and he Correct. points at Thor. So they maybe have had this, but didn't really start monkeying with it till Thor came around. And then they're like, okay, we need better weapons. That makes sense to me. They have been messing with this. We're going to find out later with backfield information. They've been messing with this since the 80s. Mm-hmm. So this has been going on for a while, but they didn't really ramp up anything until Thor showed up. Right. Okay. okay. So, yeah. I will buy that. <laughs> we'll get to it here, but I want to talk more about the Tesseract. Okay. Let's keep going with the story, and then we'll talk more about the Tesseract as we... Find out more things in this movie. So just as the information is dawning on Fury that the doorway works both ways, the doorway opens and Loki shows up with a spear that he gets from the Chitari. It's a scepter. Mm-hmm. Kevin Smith called it the Loki pokey stick. <laughs> I back think in it should mo- be called the Loki pokey stick. That's back, just yeah. perfect. <laughs> I, I, back... When this movie first came out, <laughs> Kevin Smith did a, a review on it in his podcast, and he called it the Loki Pokey Stick, and that has stuck with me <laughs> because that shit's funny, the Loki Pokey Stick. So that's what I always, in my head, that's my headcanon, what the name of that weapon is, the, the Loki Pokey Stick. So Loki steals the Tesseract, uses the Loki Pokey Stick to brainwash Hawkeye and Dr. Selvig and a bunch of other S.H.I.E.L.D. agents. And then the facility is destroyed because the wormhole is collapsing in on itself. And this is all happening just as like Nick Fury and Loki and Maria Hill and Hawkeye and Selvig are all escaping. Mm -hmm. They're making their escape. Yep. Everybody makes it out alive except for whatever red shirts are still in there. Right. And Loki is now on the run with the Tesseract and a small army. So Fury decides that now is the time to activate the Avengers Initiative, which is what we've been building towards for five movies. The idea here is to bring together all the prominent metahumans that they've been keeping an eye on. So he sends Black Widow to bring in Bruce Banner. He sends Coulson to go and fetch Iron Man. And Fury goes to talk to Captain America. They've already got Black Widow and they've got Hawkeye. Well, they had Hawkeye. Now Hawkeye's with Loki. Right. Now I... I like some of these interactions here. We get a scene with Black Widow strutting her stuff where she's basically interrogating 
these agents, but re- they think they're interrogating yeah. her, and she's like, "This idiot's giving me everything," yes. and and then she kicks their asses while she's tied to a chair. Yeah. And I, I love Black Widow. She's just Scarlett Johansson does this really great. I think I, I I like this character a lot. Facial expression for her, I think, was fantastic when she says to Coulson, "You're kidding me. This moron's giving me everything." The <laughs> The Russian guy looks at her like, what? And she gives him this look like, come on, really? Of course I'm... (laughs) Yeah. Like, she says everything with that look. It's very, very good look. I liked it. Yeah. I liked all of these interactions. Mm -hmm. I liked liked her going to go and get Banner. Mm -hmm. I liked Coulson going to Iron Man, because there's a history there, right? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love the whole... Pepper saying, you know, Phil Coulson, yeah, and he's like, Phil. no, his name's Agent. His, his first, first name's, name's Agent, Agent yeah. <laughs> but it makes you think, too, like, I know he's kind of being funny and stuff, too, but this kind of speaks to him being kind of arrogant and selfish and not really taking the time to get to know other people. Like, he doesn't know anything about Phil Coulson, and Pepper Potts does. She knows mm-hmm. about his romantic life, mm-hmm. what he's up to, yeah. all this stuff, you know? Yep. And, but, and throughout this movie... Tony Stark starts making that effort to get to know him and to talk to him and stuff. And I think I, I like to see that little, it's not a huge progression. It's a yeah, little progression. Say, it's not much of a progression. It which... isn't, but there's a few steps in there, little mm-hmm. side conversations that, you know, he's maybe trying a little bit. It makes his turn against Loki. Tony's you know comment against when he's fighting Loki, maybe not mean as much because he's like, oh, you killed Phil Coulson. You know, it's like you didn't give a shit about Phil Coulson, Phil Coulson until just recently. Until so yesterday. Now, yeah. So <laughs> why the fuck does that matter to you, right? Or maybe he did, and it's just you know. Maybe that's just the way he comes he, off. He is. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he is kind of that way with Pepper too, right? Mm-hmm. Kind of standoffish and snarky and all that. Yep. Yep. He's snarky with people that, that is he likes. Just how he shows his. It's his, his love, love language. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I also really liked Fury going to going to get Cap, mm-hmm. and say, you know, he's like, you trying to you, you got a mission. He's like, no, I'm gonna get you back out in the world and save the world. You know, mm-hmm. so I've, I really enjoyed that. What I really liked about this was Steve punching the punching bag. He punches the punching bag clean off of its mount and then he turns around and he's got a lineup of punching bags waiting (laughs) because he just knows he's going to beat the shit out of them and need another one yeah i between this interaction and some of the beginning interactions he has with the other avengers i kind of like that steve rogers isn't the go america army that he was in the last movie he's he's gotten a little more Cynical. Cynical. He's a little more, uh, not a hundred percent, but he is a little bit more hesitant and not quite so raw, raw. Because like he says something about the stars and the stripes and stuff like that. So I like the fact that he's got some hesitation and growth. Like we don't, we're not just going to follow these people blindly Mm -hmm. now. He's got to stop and think about it for a minute. You know. I think the real push comes from Tony when Tony says, you know, he's making these weapons of mass destruction. Steve is like, I don't give a shit. Just get find the Tesseract. And then when he leaves, you see him stop. He's like, I, I do give a shit. Damn yep, it. Yep. And that's what, I think that right there is the turn for us mm-hmm. because he's not going to just trust authority blindly now. Mm-hmm. Once he finds these weapons and his worst fears are confirmed, yeah, now he knows that he's being lied to. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. So the team locates Loki in Stuttgart, Germany, where Loki is stealing iridium to stabilize the Tesseract. And while he's there, the t- Loki is terrorizing the public, only to be taken down by Captain America, Iron Man, and Black Widow. They take him down pretty easy here. I Oh, he's ready to be taken down. He's, yep. He gets taken in This is purpose. his plan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I do like Loki in this more than Loki in Thor. I think he's more bad guy. I think he's more aggressive. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they kind of decided to rewrite his character a little bit or if it's just the story itself lends to him being more bad guy, but I, I like this. I like this more than Loki Thor. This is a natural progression for his character. He was already teetering on that edge between hero and anti-hero mm-hmm. when we saw him last in Thor. If you get tossed off of a bridge and you know that he's not going to, you know you're not going to get forgiven, you're still going to have to pay for what you did. You know that it's not going to just wipe the slate clean, even though your dad rules the whole fucking planet, mm-hmm. you know, and you decide to drop yourself into the abyss rather than face that. Mm-hmm. Well, you've you've chosen you've chosen violence, right? Mm-hmm. So that's that's the natural progression here. Of course, he's darker. He's darker because of everything that happened to him, finding out who he really is, being rejected or feeling rejected mm-hmm. by his family, and then you know, ultimately being having your brother choose to spare the people that you want to excise from yourself, you know, and from all of the universe, really. Yeah, yeah. But. So I think I think that this progression is natural. I think that the heroization of Loki later makes less sense than what we see now. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I really I really appreciated Loki in this film. Um, I'm not a huge Loki fan. Mm-hmm. Like I know there's a lot of people that are like, oh boy, Loki's great in everything, but he's not. He's not great in everything. I mean, I I I appreciate you know the actor, the people that have written it. But I also think that they have seen, it's like the Norman Reedus effect, Mm -hmm. right? All of a sudden, Norman Reedus has to be the leading actor of The Walking Dead because everybody loves him. That's the only reason they made him the leading actor, right? Mm -hmm. So Loki has to be a good guy because everybody loves Loki, so he's got to be a good guy. Why can't you have him be light and a bad guy? Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, because everybody likes him. Yeah. Just fine. You can't. Ma- yeah, yeah, you can't. You can't just like. I mean, you can. You can just be like, oh, he's the bad guy, but everybody likes him. Mm-hmm. I, I don't get the whole. We have to make him a hero. Is because kids look up to him or something? He's still doing crazy shit. Mm-hmm. Only they've just framed him as a hero now. Yeah. I don't know. It's a weird. It's a weird turn. I think. Anyway, we're not here to talk about that. We're here to talk about the Avengers. <laughs> so. Uh, with Loki in custody, the group starts to return to the S.H.I.E.L.D. helicarrier, which we didn't talk about right away, but when they reveal the helicarrier, that was like fucking Nerdvana for me. <laughs> I, And again, not a huge Avengers fan, but I know what the helicarrier is because mm-hmm. Hulk had dealings with S.H.I.E.L.D. The, the, the X-Men had dealings with S.H.I.E.L.D. I knew what a helicarrier was. Mm-hmm. To see one on screen, it was like, oh, oh, my God, oh, oh. <laughs> Uh, oh, I got to go back here. I got to go back six more times so I can watch this part. Yeah. 
it was ridiculous. But I, 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 wow, yeah. I mean, just like as soon as the, as soon as Black Widow said it's going to get really hard to breathe, I was like, oh, they're going to do it. They're going to take. We're going to go flying, and then they make them like they they engage the invisibility shield or whatever. They're yeah. like reflective panels or whatnot. I was like, oh my god, it's kind of like that thing in X Factor, and this like, oh my, god, let me push my glasses up on my face, nerd. Like total, total nerdgasm. Yeah, total nerdgasm. I thought it was cool. It was a big moment <laughs> in nerd history right there. Yeah. Anyway, they're they're heading back to the helicarrier, but they get intercepted by Loki's brother, Thor, who somehow How did he get here? Okay, the Bifrost is not fixed yet. Yes. And his hammer Mil Milnor, how do you say that? Milnor. Milnor. <laughs> that isn't a Bifrost traveling thing. How the hell did he get there? Bifrost traveling thing? Well, like the other hammer axe thing. I don't remember what these things are called. The other thing that he gets later. Stormbringer. Or Stormbreaker, excuse Stormbreaker. me. Stormbreaker. Thank you very much. Yeah, Stormbreaker. That, I understand. If he had mm. that, fine. Somehow, somehow that has the ability to generate Maybe the Bifrost. Maybe he just flew through space? No. Uh, Loki says, how much dark energy did Father have to conjure to get you here? So it still reasons, quote unquote, that they don't want to tell us because they don't have a good enough reason. So they just kind of shrug it off by saying dark energy. Oh, dark energy. Oh, okay. Whatever. Huh. Okay. All right. Well, I suppose they did have something there, but... As soon as we were watching it this time, especially because we had the conversation with Thor, I'm like, hey, 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 wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on. What Pause the hell? this. We need to discuss. Yeah. We did, didn't we? We, we been, did. Yeah. I'm like, well, how is this mm -hmm. happening? <laughs> mm -hmm. So Thor hopes to convince Loki to return to Asgard and stop his attack on Earth. So he breaks into the Quinjet and steals Loki from the team rather than just talking to them and being like, look, let me see if I can settle this. He's like, no, I'm going to go. Remember when Thor, like, became less arrogant, less like, I rule everything, everyone will listen to me? That's all out the window right here, right? He just shows up, blasts into the Quinjet, takes his brother without saying a word to these other people, and right. leaves. Yeah, I feel like the Thor that we left Thor on would have said, hey, this mm -hmm. is my brother. I'm going to take him back to this planet called Asgard. Asgard? <laughs> you mean Asgard? Asgard. <laughs> Asgard is in a completely different movie. <laughs> just so you know. Probably one I don't want to watch. I mean, maybe. It depends on your taste, I guess. Uh, anyways, now I lost my total train of thought. <laughs> he would have been more, he would have been more he would have diplomatic about yeah. it. What, what we got with Thor, the character arc for Thor in the movie Thor was brash, young, adolescent, learns that there's more ways than just violence to get shit done, right? Mm -hmm. Well, the first thing he does is choose violence when we see him again. So why? Mm -hmm. Because it ends up making a fight? That's really what it comes down to, right? They want to show us that the Avengers are going to be at odds with each other, right? Yeah. They're not a big happy family like the X-Men, which, by the way, the X-Men don't always agree either, so... But they're not a big happy family like the X-Men. They're a team of very different people thrown together with a lot of attitudes and stuff that are, you know, clashing all the time. Yeah. So I think that's the only reason that we get this regression for Thor. It doesn't make sense, but we're here. 
Iron Man and Captain America follow Thor and they end up fighting him but ultimately they all realize that they're on the same team and they all stand down and they take Loki to the helicarrier anyway so now even more what was the point Loki is imprisoned in, in the, at the helicarrier in a glass and steel cage that will kill him if he tries to escape Fury says if you so much as scratch that glass it will drop 30,000 feet and kill him, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. Just want to make sure we establish that. That that's what happens if he so much as scratches it. Like like this. Mm -hmm. Right? A little scratch. Like like that. It will send him plummeting 30,000 feet, right? Well, that's what he said. Ant. Boot. boot. Yep. Right. Okay. So, just so we've got that set. All right. <laughs> I feel like you're going somewhere. Oh, I've got a... I'm going a couple places. <laughs> With the team finally assembled, tensions start to rise amid Loki's influence and the revelation that S.H.I.E.L.D. has been using the Tesseract to create weapons of mass destruction, as we talked about earlier, rather than the clean energy cover story that Fury had fed them. Now, I think that the clean energy thing works because Howard Stark was using it to create the arc reactor to make mm -hmm. clean energy to run his buildings on, right? Right. That's why that works. And I think that S.H.I.E.L.D. took advantage of that, obviously. Said, hey, we're just using it for clean energy, right? That's fine. Until we find out that that's not exactly what it is. And yes, they are doing that. They are creating weapons because people like Thor show up. Now, here's where we also get the point where Fury calls Thor an alien from another planet. They're not gods. They're just aliens from another planet. But in so many other references, they are considered gods. I, I'm not going to take Nick Fury's word for it. Whoa. He's just saying something. He wow. doesn't know shit. Wow. Okay. <laughs> I do think they're Jeez. on a different planet, but we get in Thor Love and Thunder that there's all these gods out there that yeah, meet the up in these other places. Okay, but remember there's the one god that Gore goes to kill. We'll get to this again, but Gore goes to kill the first god that we see, right, that he sees. Mm -hmm. He goes to kill that god. And it's not a god. It's just a dude with powers that positions himself as a quote-unquote god to people that don't know any better. So you're saying Zeus isn't a god either? I'm saying that none of those people that have powers that are are on the Council of Gods or whatever, the Planet yeah. of Gods or whatever, yeah. are they're just aliens with a lot of power that underlings that people wouldn't that would not question it will think, oh my God, he's from another he's from outer space and he's got powers. He must what be about, a god, right? I'm telling you, that's what they're doing. That's the concept of Love and Thunder is that these gods prey upon the people that think of them as gods yeah yeah to further themselves and that's why gore even goes nuts that's why he even starts going after these right. quote unquote gods right mm -hmm. so they're not gods they're just alien beings of great power that people that don't know any better think of as gods <laughs> okay. nick fury knows better all right just saying <laughs> He's the head of intelligence. He may not know a doorway yeah, works both ways. he didn't know where the door was, okay? <laughs> he doesn't, he doesn't, Come on. He may not know that doorways don't work both ways, but he knows a god when that, he sees them. That throws off some suspicion, <laughs> though. He might not know. I'll give you that. I'm going to give you that, but my perception is that these are not gods. These are just okay. alien beings of great power that, that use that power to you know for their own advantage. Blah, blah, blah. Let's move on. Okay, I'm just going to say it. I don't think I agree with that, but that's okay. We can disagree and move on. I, I don't, I, I do agree with that. 
So. <laughs> Natasha interrogates Loki and learns that he means to unleash the Hulk. Now, this is the interrogation scene that you're talking about, which was set up by that first interrogation scene where mm -hmm. she's tied to the chair. The idea that she can get information out of someone without them knowing that they're giving yep. information up. Yep. I love the setup and the payoff. Yep. It was perfect setup and payoff there. She basically gathers from Loki by getting him to admit what he's going to do, basically. They, she, you know? She's really good at making them think they're in control and they have Correct. the power in the situation, but she is in control. <laughs> mm -hmm. Two things. Do you know what a quim is? I heard it is, is it European? Victorian era English. Yeah, for... See you next Tuesday. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> How did they get that through? They, How were they like, oh my so God, that's worse. Joss Whedon thought that it was old enough word that they wouldn't notice. And, and they didn't. <laughs> and they didn't. Number two. What did Nick Fury say would cause the prison to drop 30,000 feet? If he so and much as what? atomic bomb to nope. the wall. If if he so much as what? Scratches it? Is that what it was? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because Loki slams his fist into the side of the wall. And, of course, then he plummets 30,000 feet to his death, right? Nope. Oh, he didn't. You're right. He didn't. That's right. So They had a malfunction in the security system. Bullshit. Well, he must have somehow got it turned off anyways because he gets out of the thing. I'm not done with that thing. <laughs> We're going to come back to it. So just as Nat is running back to the bridge to kind of convene with the other Avengers, Clint and his group attack the helicarrier and hobble it. They blow up one of the engines, mm -hmm. which is which causes the thing to just lose power and it's going to it's going to drop out of the sky. Mm -hmm. So Fury orders it to go out over the ocean so that if it drops out, it drops into the water. Mm -hmm. Right? No harm, no foul, other than to the people on board, obviously. Right. But you're not going to kill bunches of civilians. Banner and Nat are thrown into a sub-level by the blasts of the attack, and Iron Man and Cap go to try and fix the engines that were damaged. Thor and Fury fight some of the invaders. Meanwhile, in the sub-level, Banner transforms into the Hulk. This is the point where we see that his control, quote-unquote, is tenuous at best. Mm-hmm. His ability to control when he can, can can transform is limited to, I can do it at will, but I can't stop it if I don't want it to happen. Also, is it a thing in the comics? No, it's a Hulk. That's a Fantastic Four joke. Go on. Okay. So <laughs> is it a thing in the comics that while Hulk, he does not like to be called Banner? Indeed it is. Okay, because there's twice in this movie that while he's Hulk, somebody calls him Banner and he seems to get ticked off about it. Yes. So I was kind of thinking that must be a sore mm -hmm. spot for him. Hulk. Now remember, it's multiple personalities. Yep. Okay. Mm -hmm. So Hulk, this Hulk, the Green Hulk in the comics is the childlike version of Banner, the kid that can take it all when dad's beating the crap out of him, right? Mm -hmm. Joe Fixit is going to be another character that's that's the Gray Hulk that's more like sinister and conniving. He's the guy that's going to get back at the dad for doing the shit that he did to him. Stuff like that. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. each one has a distinct individual personality. They are the same person, 
but they're just fractures of that person. They're aspects of okay, Banner's personality. Okay, so that's interesting. So in the comics, he isn't just split into two. He has multiple factions, and that's where the different Hulks come oh, from. Oh, shit, no. Yeah, there's like there's okay, so many different. Okay, because I was thinking it was basically the same thing with just Banner oh. and Hulk. It was just different storylines or different like universe things, and nope. that's what it was. But it's really yeah. multiple, mm-hmm. more than one other Mm-hmm. individual in there yeah there's okay. a great we don't get this because we don't get the development of the hulk we just get the end product in endgame but the development of the hulk into this professor hulk is that banner starts to lose control of his transformations the green hulk had been suppressed for a long time and the gray hulk was the one that was coming out at night because banner was ashamed of it like he would only come out at night because banner didn't want him to see daylight and he was under he 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 just missed getting to Betty at one point. Like he was trying to find her after this big thing, this big explosion at the at what the hell's the name of the plant? Gamma Base in Arizona. Anyway, New Mexico. Sorry, and he was trying to get to Betty, and Betty was getting away, and like the stress of it caused the Green Hulk to come back, but the Green Hulk came back in such a way that he tore out of Banner, literally, like instead of just growing from Banner, he tore out of Banner's skin. And it was a really gruesome transformation. But then we had the War of the Hulks. You had Grey Hulk and Green Hulk warring within Banner's psyche to take control of the body, right? And the only way that they could fix it was to get Leonard Sampson involved, and Leonard Sampson helped merge all three of those personalities so what we got was the professor hulk is what he's called now but we called them the merged hulk in the 80s when it happened it was banner's banner's intelligence the sneakiness and snarkiness of the gray hulk and the power of the green hulk (laughs) what we didn't know is that that wasn't all the hulks that were in there ah okay so there are more hulks there's so much more to the Hulk story than what he's given here, and I'm just gonna I'm just gonna say this now because I'm not gonna we're not gonna ever see this, but we could have he could have his own universe like Spider-Man basically, mm-hmm. you know, if they would give him the opportunity. There's so much more to it. You could make it a completely psychological like horror story, mm-hmm. you know. You could have Gray Hulk, and it could be a horror movie. You could have multiple different types of Hulk movies. You could have an action movie. You could have a, a psychological horror. You could have a physical horror movie. There's so many different things you could do with this character, and he's a comic relief later. That's all he is. Mm-hmm. So, Hulk got did dirty. <laughs> Thor ends up fighting the Hulk, which, yay, I loved that. I loved seeing Thor and the Hulk fight because, you know. Comic book thing. Comic book, man. I thought it was fun as a non-comic book person. Sure. I it was interesting. You've got two strong beings mm-hmm. and they're duking it out here Duke. in a, in a very confined spot. Too. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And the Hulk ends up falling to earth. Eventually he gets shot at by a, an F-22. He jumps on the F-22. He throws the pilot out of it. And the pilot of course parachutes to safety. Even though Cap murders a bunch of people in this movie again, Cap is murdering people again in this movie, <laughs> left and right. So that airplane that Hulk jumps onto, mm-hmm. that is the same airplane that was in True Lies. That's a Harrier? 
No, it's I, not. No, no, no. The one that he the, no, that's an F twenty two that he jumps onto. The one I know what you're talking about. The one that he crashes into when Thor hits him. Uh-huh. That's what you're talking about. Oh, that's okay, the Harrier. Okay. Yep, that's okay. a Harrier. All right. Yep. I just know they said that. That's the same I one from they, True Lies, huh? Yeah, I thought they said that that one. But anyways, one of those was in True Lies. That's cool. Yeah. That's cool. Because the one in True Lies was a Harrier. The one that Hulk jumps onto is an F-22 Raptor. They look very a, similar to me, but... <laughs> they really don't. When you put them side by side, you would not say I'm, that. I'm sure, yeah, yep. if they're side by side. But yep. if I just see them on the screen, I'm like, oh, yeah, it's an For airplane. For a couple of quick seconds, yeah, you're like, oh, yeah, military airplane. That's what they look like. Just like that. Perfect. Meanwhile, Nat and Hawkeye fight, and she ends up concussing him. Like She knocks him in the head, which breaks Loki's control over him. Loki escapes, murdering Phil Coulson along the way, and then trapping Thor in his cell, which ends up dropping out of the helicarrier because Loki drops him. Loki presses the buttons and makes it drop, right? Which how did he get out of there? I don't know how he got out, number one, but explain to me again what what kind of action would cause this thing to fall 30,000 feet and crash into the earth. What was it again? Do you remember? Was it a scratch? Even so much as a scratch? Because Thor cracks the fucking glass with Mjolnir. Yeah. And it doesn't drop until Loki presses a button. I mean, Fury could have just been talking big to try and get him to not do anything. I mean, it could just be all talk. You never know. I mean, the same guy that doesn't know there's doors on both sides of things. Are you so. going to keep going back to that? A hundred percent, yes. That's pretty funny. <laughs> so Fury, of course, uses Coulson's death as the motivating factor to get the Avengers to work together as a team. Meanwhile, a freed Loki uses the Tesseract to power a new wormhole generated by a device that Selvig built. On they put they put it on top of Stark's tower. Stark Tower. I love the moment when Tony Stark realizes where Loki went with this thing, where he's talking about a you know, God, how do I don't remember how he says it, but something about going to some big shiny beacon with your name on it or so, something like that, yeah, you yeah. know? And then he's like, oh, shoot. <laughs> like, Son of a bitch. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The Chitari pour through the tear in space-time attacking New York and the Avengers assemble to defend the city, battling the Chitari and working as a team. During the fray, Hulk fights Loki, bludgeoning him, and Widow makes her way to Stark Tower to stop the generator. Meanwhile, the World Security Council launches a nuclear missile at Manhattan. Now, my question here is, why would they take control of one of Fury's jets when they have any number of other nuclear missiles that they could just be like, yo, we, he can't stop this one if we shoot it from over here? Right. They're like, no, we're going to take one of his. Fuck him. We're going to take one of his <laughs> weapons, and we're going to do... We're going to take it out yeah. from under your nose. That's right. I, I, I'm, show you. I was confused as to why they did that. Like, yeah, some, of these, some, of these, some of these choices don't make sense, but when you want Nick Fury to run out onto the flight deck with a RPG and, you know, shoot a grenade launcher at him, you gotta That's give, why. You got to give Samuel L. Jackson some kind of action to do. Otherwise, he's just <laughs> kind of there and he's kind of leading things. He doesn't do a lot of the fighting. Well, that's the point, yeah. right? He's yeah. the leader. He's the he's leader. Yeah, yep. so. Just real quick, mm -hmm. we get some really cool fighting scenes. And I know mm -hmm. later you get really tired of the CGI and stuff. But oh, no, not in this movie. I, I 
love all of this. Yeah, in I this movie, I, st- I even going back now, I still am not tired of this movie's use of it. That big like worm thing that's going through, mm-hmm. and them fighting that, and mm-hmm. and the Hulk hitting it, and then Stark going through one of them. Yeah, and then you've got Hawkeye doing the arrow thing up above. I I just get giddy every time I watch this whole <laughs> sequence here. It is so much fun yeah. to watch our heroes just kick ass. Like mm-hmm. I mean, it's got to be exhausting what they were doing. I watched a video of Hawkeye and Black Widow when they were doing some of their fighting stuff, and it was before all the special effects were put in. Man, I'm assuming they had to do a lot of training because you oh, know yeah. that was a lot of stuff that they were doing, and I. I think it's impressive because I can't do anything like that. But <laughs> I, it was really neat to see yeah, no, it I... before they put it in. Now they did have some people in like gray suits to kind of have reference sure. and put yeah. stuff in, but yeah, some of it was just completely that, yeah. imaginary what they were doing. Mm-hmm. So yeah, no, they've got it. There, there has to be something for you to play off of more often than not. Yeah. So I had a couple of questions. Coulson's death unifying the Avengers doesn't make as much sense as they want it to make in this movie. Mm-hmm. Let's think about this. Who's he close to in this? Tony? Not really. Okay. Thor? He just met Thor. Nope. Right. Okay. Yeah. He met Thor in Thor, right? Mm-hmm. And they haven't really formed a bond. Mm-hmm. Did they form a bond? No. No. Okay. What about Banner? Banner's Banner, not there. Banner's not there. Banner doesn't. Mm-hmm. He's, he's, he's a non-factor. He, he's not he, there. Does he know Coulson? Do you think he's friends with Coulson? No, he just met him. Does he know? I don't even think he have a scene with Coulson, right? Yeah. Okay. Black Widow, maybe, because they've worked together. Right? Hawkeye and Black Widow would be yeah. the two that I think would know him because they were all in S.H.I.E.L.D. at the same time. Right. And Captain America. No. Steve. Steve only knows him because Coulson idolizes him, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And Coulson's the one that transported him to the helicarrier. Mm-hmm. So they talked for a few minutes. Yeah. Or an hour at best, right? Yeah. Because the thing's floating over New York. Or floating off off, off New York yep. before, it land, before it takes off. Mm-hmm. I don't understand why they need that because I think as soon as the the hole opens and the Chitauri are coming in, I, I feel like they would get over whatever the hell they're doing and then go do their business. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's tenuous at best as an excuse for them to band together. If if you really wanted the person that makes sense to kill is Nick Fury. Mm-hmm. And the way you get around that is when you remember when Nick when Stark is introduced in this movie, when we first see him in this movie, his intro in this movie is Coulson calling him and he's like, You've reached the life model decoy of Tony Stark. Mm-hmm. A life model decoy is a shield thing. It's a literal clone, almost not a literal clone. It is a it's an android that looks and acts like whomever it is, right? Yeah. Nick Fury could have had a life model decoy that sacrificed himself. Right? You still keep your whole like deception up. He boy oh, did it to make sure that they'd get together, right? Mm-hmm. I think Coulson was not a good choice to try and bond them. I think it was there f- more for the audience. Oh, yeah, definitely. Because we have seen him in all of these movies. We now. have a connection to him. Yeah. These actors, not actors, these characters do not. Right. Not as I, much as they want us to. I wish they wouldn't have killed him off because I feel like he's a nice consistent that we could have continued. They didn't kill him off. Yes, they did. He's not dead. Yes, he is. No, he's not. Agents he, of S.H.I.E.L.D. 
that I thought was something else, oh, like no. a pre-thing. No, that was after. He, in the first few episodes, they're talking about him recuperating from his attack. He literally died right there. No, he didn't. So they undid his death Correct. in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Correct. Okay, then why do we never see him in another movie? He probably just wanted too much money. <laughs> Clark Gregg, man, you know, that guy, he commands a big <laughs> salary. I don't know why they didn't bring him back in other movies. He was probably, be honest, the truth, the honest truth is he's probably busy with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. That thing went on for like five years in 22, 24 episodes in a season. That's busy, you know? Yeah, yeah. So... Yeah. So anyway, so yeah, so that's that's my thing with that. I, I mm. the other question I have is why didn't Tony just go straight for the generator? He saw what was opening the hole, right? Mm -hmm. Why did he just let people just pour in? Why didn't he go straight for the generator? Say, hey, Steve, Thor, Banner. Nat, take care of these guys while I go knock this thing out, and then we'll close it up and we'll be done. Because it had a barrier thing around it. He couldn't get like into that it. that stopped Tony before? I don't know. He would cut off part of his building to stop that thing from going, wouldn't he? You know he would. Yeah. Yeah. He could have lopped off that part, that piece that was out there, and let it just drop to the ground, and no more, no more wormhole. Yeah. But he didn't go after it. Why? And we didn't get our cool fight. Not an excuse. <laughs> I'm just asking questions now. And I am asking questions as somebody who has seen this movie in theaters six times at, at best. I think it's six times. Five, four to six times, right? So you know I like this movie. I'm just asking this question because it hangs over me sometimes. You know? Yeah. As I'm watching it, I'm like, it doesn't make sense that he doesn't just go straight for that. Yeah. Anyway. So... Tony, realizing that the only way to stop the invasion is to turn the nuke into the wormhole and destroy the Chitari mothership, manages to get the missile into the wormhole, let it detonate before his armor gives out and shuts down. Now, here's another question for you. Doesn't you just have to turn it up and let it go? Does he have to fly into the wormhole? I would think once you're close enough, you could just let it go let and it go. Let it go and it'll go straight up yeah. there. It's my, got its own little engine. You don't need to push it. My question is, once he's in this wormhole yeah. and his suit goes and he falls, he happens to fall through that hole. But if you're out in space, <laughs> aren't you going to float around? Yeah, he, he goes straight back, right he straight falls back down. falls right the hole. back yeah. down. Unless yep. there's enough gravity on Earth that it's pulling through the wormhole. But then I think we'd have a whole other list of problems if that was going on. I'm, I'm, willing, to, I'm willing to give him that he'll fall right back through. Right, because inertia is just she's traveling straight up. The inertia is going to be straight back down. Right, I'll I'll give him that. All I right. can explain that one away. <laughs> I don't understand why he even goes in the hole to begin with. You just turn it up. It's got a, it's got a jet engine on the bottom of it. Turn it straight up. Let it go. I I also unless he just wants to make sure it blows up the thing that he's trying to blow yeah, up. Yeah, right? it could be. Now, also, how do they know that there's a ship on the other side of this I don't thing? Know. They can't see through it. I don't know. So they basically destroy the Chitari. The same way that Jeff Goldblum and Will Smith do in Independence Day. They <laughs> yeah. basically take out the mothership. Take out the mothership and everything, and everything else, stops. else stops. Yeah. I think that's kind of a cheap way to get rid of the Chitari on Earth. But <laughs> it also shortcuts it because you're not otherwise you're gonna have this but it's they don't be a have three to and a half hour movie. They don't have to show us all that battle. They could just show us at the end that everything's done. But Well, you got big things there. It's not just yeah. a bunch of little guys. We got those giant worm things going. There's yeah. those 
people that are like sewn into a fucking like little glider thing. You remember yeah. those guys? Chitauri are weird. Yeah, we don't they, get any real definition. They feel for these like guys. like they maybe torture their people a little bit. Yeah, we don't ever really see them again, do we? I mean, until no. the battle for Earth, we don't see any more of these Chitauri. Yeah, because they're there during Infinity War. Yeah, I don't know. I like I said, I'm fine with it because it just ends the fight nice and quick. Yeah, but it yeah. seems weird. It is very weird. It, it's like they're a hive mind, and if you blow yeah. up the mind, everything just falls away. Like they're the Borg or something, you know, from Star Trek. But then, when if it's a hive mind, once you hurt one person, wouldn't they all feel it? I don't know. I don't know how hive minds work. What are you? Bill Nye, the science guy over there? How does mm. how do hive minds work? I have no idea. Well, why are you asking me? <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. You're I don't the know comic book person. This okay, is comic all right, book movie. All right, Come fair, on. fair. Okay, well, let's take the Borg as an example. The Borg don't feel... They feel individually, but they think... Who's the Borg? The Borg are are these are these bad guys in Star Trek. Let's, let's quickly easy. Wait, wait, wait. Now you're crossing. No, genres no, no. I'm just here. Use, okay, but I'm just using them as an example. The Borg are a hive mind. They're a hive mind. They're not a hive body. So like they feel things individually, but they think together. Like they share a common like yeah. mind network, right? Mm-hmm. So I think that these things are maybe they're like animated corpses or something. Because no you idea. know when the, one of them when they take it takes its mask off and it screams it yeah. like when 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 they take down that first big monster worm yeah. thing, they look kind of like decimated and like eh, like, right. like jaws falling off. Maybe they're just reanimated corpses, and if you take out the control system, they're just like, oh, we can't puppet these guys anymore. I don't know. It doesn't make any sense. Hmm. Okay, but. Mm-hmm. I still love this. Let it roll. Battle. Just let it. I love let it. it slide. I'm. I'm gonna let all of that go. Other than for this podcast, I will pick at it a little bit. Next time I watch it, I won't even care. The, po- the okay, but this the podcast is all about nitpicking. This is what yep. we do, right? We nitpick this. We have wh- to discuss it. We yeah. talk about it because we love it. Yeah. We're not talking about it. Well, unless it's like Twilight, then I'm going to talk about it because I hate it. But you know what I'm saying, right? I'm yeah. still talking about Twilight four years later. You fucking kidding me with that show? That movie, I mean. I like. <laughs> yeah. Sparkly. Oh, God. You sent me TikToks <laughs> of a guy watching Twilight with his wife and entirely mocking it and just losing his shit when the one dude, like, sparkles yeah he just loses his shit and that was pretty much me i was like except i was more arms crossed like you gotta be fucking kidding me with this <laughs> what's with this fucking sparkling shit huh who ordered this guy <laughs> get him out of here get out of here <laughs> sorry so <laughs> i don't even remember where we are with the what did they just took out the bomb right you use the bomb yes, and took yep. out? okay so we're getting really excited way the fuck off <laughs> we're talking about twilight again so, after Tony's been in the hole for a little while, like seconds or whatever, Fury says, okay, just close it, because we can't risk anything else getting through. Mm-hmm. So, Nat goes to close it, but just before it completely closes, Tony Stark falls back through. Mm-hmm. And everybody's like, yeah, wait, he's not doing anything. He's just falling. Mm-hmm. He's just plummeting towards the earth. <laughs> and everybody's like, oh, shit, Thor's getting ready to take off, but Hulk saves the day. Yep. He grabs him, lands on the ground with him. They tear his mask off. He's obviously not breathing until Hulk roars at him. And then Tony comes too. Yep, yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. 
the in the aftermath of what is now going to be known as the Battle of New York, the team captures Loki and Thor uses the Tesseract's power to travel back to Asgard with his wayward brother to face Asgardian justice. Now, question. If you can do it with the Tesseract, why do you need the Bifrost now? Can't you just use the Tesseract? No, because the Tesseract's going to go in their Museum of Oddities in the basement. Can't you just use the Tesseract's power to create another travel system? Can't problems just be solved by this shit now? I don't know. Why don't also, we, Odin why don't got like Ms. dark magic bangles and make make travel paths that way. They will later. That's how that. <laughs> okay, well, uh, we're getting way beyond this here, but I'm just talking specifically about this movie. I don't. I don't know. I can't. I can't. the the I, the whole like travel to and from Asgard thing. Like if 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 Odin can just be like, all right, I'm gonna get a bunch of dark magic together. Hey, James, come here. Bring me some more dark magic. You over there. Get me some dark magic. And I know your cousin dabbles. Can you get me? We're going to pull our dark magic. We're, We're going to put it in the dark magic the three font. children and the <laughs> next goat. Wow, damn. <laughs> all right, I wasn't going there, but all right. So you're saying, you're saying in your headcanon, Odin sacrificed children to get Thor to Earth to stop it's Loki? It's dark magic. There's all sorts of crazy shit that damn happens woman. with damn. dark magic. Damn, No, I'm sorry. You're over here talking about sacrificing kids. <laughs> I'm okay. sorry. I don't know in, what I don't know what space Harry gods Potter you pray to. World, but, uh, if there's dark magic, there's a lot of death and a lot of that stuff happening. <laughs> I mean, I don't disagree. So I, I feel like disagree. dark magic. You are doing stuff you maybe shouldn't be doing. Some really dark shit, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Odin. Odin went dark. So then, what? Uh, like, there's no repercussions from that. Then think but about he's that. He's the king. He can do what he wants. Okay, Scar. <laughs> Jeez. It was Scar, right? I'm the king. I can do whatever I want. Yeah, I'm yeah. pretty sure it was I'm pretty sure yeah, it was like I, think I can so. do whatever I want. I can I can hear Jeremy Irons saying that. That's right, it was Jeremy Irons, yep. wasn't it? I forgot mm-hmm. about that. Shit, that's good. So the team go their separate ways, but Fury promises Maria Hill that if they ever are needed again, the Avengers will surely assemble to defend the earth and that's the end of the movie there are mid-credit scene but uh, you know we get to those later in the uh, podcast as we do so do you have additional notes things that you maybe want to talk about um i have a couple things here uh okay. that i didn't i think i missed while we were talking about this stuff um So back to the helicarrier, when Loki is being held prisoner, there's a computer screen that's scanning his body, mm-hmm. and it comes through as blue or cold because he's actually a frost giant by Makes nature. Yeah. Yep. Lou Ferrigno contributed to the voice of Hulk in this film again. It was a mixture of Mark Ruffalo, Lou Ferrigno, and a couple other people that mm. were combined together to make the new Hulk's voice. You know, I liked the Hulk voice in the in, in the Incredible Hulk better. I, I'm. I don't want to crap on this because I really, I really enjoyed Mark Ruffalo's performance here, but I really liked the old Hulk voice better. Mm-hmm. Like it just like that Hulk smash that he gives out. Like he just sounds like a giant rage monster, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's see here. So we've talked uh, the last couple that were kind of getting up to the point where Disney's going to 
take over, right? Yeah, this was the first one distributed or co-distributed. So this movie and Iron Man 3 were originally part of a six-picture deal with Marvel and Paramount Pictures. Right, yep. But the distribution rights were transferred to Walt Disney Pictures, so it's the Paramount logo that appears in the advertising and the marketing. And at the beginning. But at the end of the credits, Mm -hmm. it says distributed by Walt Disney. So there's two kind of crossover movies here, and then after that is when it's all Disney Mm -hmm. after that. So we have an answer to when it actually happens. Right, yeah. It's kind of... uh it's kind of the beginning of the end when it comes to this, right? Like they had their plan and Disney let them do that. And then all hell kind of breaks loose in phase four. So we'll get there, I'm sure, eventually. I have one alternate casting. Was it a new Hulk recast? Yes. It was somebody else that they considered for Bruce Banner before they signed Mark Ruffalo on. It was Joaquin Phoenix. And he turned it down because it was a multi-movie deal and he didn't want to be tied into that. Hmm. And here he is doing Joker for multiple movies. I Okay, so Joaquin Phoenix would have been very interesting. He would very have played it a lot differently, I think. He would have played it a lot differently. I agree. I think that he would have been a lot more cerebral. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Than, than Mark Ruffalo. And this is no dig against Mark Ruffalo. Again, I really like his characterization in this movie. But I think that he would have played this. I think that Joaquin Phoenix would have played this a little more cerebral and a little more brainy. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, that is all I have except for cameo in about the end credits. So uh, anything else you have for notes? I, I do have a couple other things, things that I didn't necessarily talk about when we were going through it number one the puny god thing with uh, loki was uh, it always gets a laugh it always gets a laugh it is definitely a hulk move i love that scene yeah. that is one of my favorite scenes it's everybody's here. favorite I, scene yeah <laughs> everybody loves that there is a there's a gag reel out there and this scene is in the gag rule and it's tom hiddleston trying to do the whole yeah. You know that thing? <laughs> yeah. And he keeps laughing in it. He was struggling <laughs> to do that part. Yeah. So. That's great. Yeah, I I, re- I really like that scene. I did. I, I think a lot of people did, like I said, but it is definitely a Hulk thing to say. Yeah. You're a god. Oh, yeah, I'm going to smash you anyway because <laughs> you might be a god, but you're a fucking puny god. <laughs> That's what you are. The other thing about the Hulk is that Nat's encounter with the Hulk leaving her shaken was a great character moment, I think. Because we're talking about a woman who can manipulate anybody that she needs Mm -hmm. to manipulate. We're talking about a woman who can hold her own in any fight. And she is so shaken by the Hulk encounter that she has to be broken out of it. Yeah. By the emergency situation at hand. You know what I mean? Like, I really love that moment. It's just a blink and you'll miss it moment, but it is there and it is... It is tight. It's really fucking good. I really like this too. Uh, it it kind of goes back to I think she respects how scary he can be or yeah. how how powerful he can be because when she's trying to pick him up from whatever town he was in, I don't, I don't remember it what was it was. It was in India. I want to say he was in not Jakarta. I don't remember exactly where. So she's playing it real cool, like she's the only one there, and mm-hmm. she's coming to get him, and then he yells at her, and she instantly backs up, pulls the guns, mm-hmm. and is like, 
you could tell she's scared oh, at yeah. that moment. She knows what he's capable of. And she then, hasn't seen it yet. Yeah, though. and then we go over to mm-hmm. this scene here. I agree. Mm-hmm. I I like it because I feel like somebody who is fearless and can go into any situation, and she's smart. Mm-hmm. She she understands that you know he can kill her. <laughs> it sets it sets the Hulk up as scary. Yeah. Right. If you know that that Nat's not afraid of anything, but she's afraid of him, mm-hmm. he's scary. Yeah. And again. They're going to use him as the butt of a joke later. He's yeah. just going to be a joke yeah. after this. Right. Like we... all the great setup that we got. Yeah. Hulk could have been the monster. Hulk could have. What they should have done is what they did with the Hulk in the Avengers comics is they should have made him the bad guy in the second Avengers movie. Mm. So I, we talked with the Incredible Hulk mm-hmm. how I thought that Hulk was scarier than what we get later. Now this mm-hmm. movie, I still think he can be scarier, but he's toned down a little bit. A little bit. Yeah. Um, in this, um, but I think every movie we get him in, he's like toned down a little bit more where he's less and less scary. And I don't know Absolutely. if that's supposed to, if that's the Disney effect or it if that's 100%. supposed to be him getting to know these people. But I feel like if he's just an angry rage monster, He's not going to get to know people and be comfortable with people. He would just be, mm-hmm. you know, angry at whatever, you know? I think the reason that the Hulk doesn't come off as scary in this movie, if they if they dulled him down a bit, the, the way that they tried to keep that edge is by showing us Nat's reaction to it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Later, he's not even going to be a consideration. People are just going to be like, oh, good, the Hulk, yay, smash everything. You know, like right. nobody gives a shit. Like, he's not scary at all. Yeah, not know? like, oh, if I accidentally, like, poke him, he's going to kill me. You yeah, know? he could I mean, kill me if I piss him off. Yeah, right. that's the I idea. Feel like, I feel like we lose that. Mm-hmm. And I, I, again, I don't know Hulk as well as you do, but I feel like that is my gut knowledge of the Hulk is he could flip on a dime and mm-hmm. even if he's fighting by your side mm-hmm. one second the next second he could be smashing you into the ground like what he did with Thor yeah after he and Thor like like won that one fight against the Chitari and then yeah. he just like smacks him oh that was oh I loved that one too but that shows exactly what you're talking about yeah. right like yeah. he could turn on you any second yeah he's a rabid dog right oh one last thing I want to say though is I really hate Captain America's outfit in this movie. Yeah, like his kinda, uniform is terrible it's in this goofy. movie. Yeah, like I get it. The uh, you want him to look kind of close to the comics. He looks kind of close to the Ultimate Cap in this. But goddamn, that looks hokey, dude. He doesn't look good again until he takes the mask off. Yeah. And I mean, I don't mean just like, ooh, Steve Rogers, he looks good. I mean, like, the costume looks okay at that point. You know what I mean? Like. Yeah. His his outfit in Winter Soldier and going forward from there is going to be much better. Mm-hmm. Makes more sense. This is a this is a circus costume versus a utility a utilitarian um battle outfit. The way know? I looked at it as this was designed by Coulson, who is a super fan of his from back in the day. And so since yeah. it was designed by Coulson, I feel like it has that kind of old-timey goofy look to it he he had a hand in it he didn't yeah. actually design it he just had a hand yeah in he helped design it yeah. but still i feel like that maybe is colson's influence it in might there, be but it might be know. yeah it might be that's how i kind of took it that's but, that's yeah. you know what that's a good take i like that that's actually really a, a good take 
Colson being the fanboy would do like, oh, we got to make him look like he did in the thing, right. You know, yeah. he has to look the way he looks on my cards. Card. Yeah. I want him to look like that. Make him look like he looks on my card. <laughs> yeah. Yep. I get it. That's all I have. With let's do. You want to do cameos? Yeah. Okay. All right. So we only have Stanley in here. Okay. So he plays a gentleman who's being interviewed at the end of the New York battle. Mm -hmm. And he says, superheroes in New York, give me a break. And then turns around to play a game of chess with a fellow senior citizen. Now, apparently, and I don't, again, this is research I'm reading. I don't know if this was supposed to be what it is or if people are just trying to make this up. Speculation, maybe. But what I was reading is that chess area where that's filmed mm -hmm. is the same area that Magneto was in, in one of the X-Men movies. So I don't know. I don't know if it's supposed to, you know, be like a, Hey, you know, oh, like, like, okay. Like it a little might... nod to the X-Men maybe. That's I don't know. Interesting. I mean, it's possible. There are, there are, I mean, it looks like he's in Central Park. There are chess tables and stuff set up in Central Park. So, if that's what this is, if this if if it makes sense, at the end of X Men: The Last Stand, Magneto has been depowered, and Charles Xavier is playing chess with him out in the world rather mm -hmm. than in a cage, and at the very end, it looks like he manages to move one of the pieces. So mm. that's okay. okay. I never made that connection, but and and I don't know even I don't know if it is a connection. I don't know if it is. It's just the same filming location, is right. what it seems right. like. Filming so, location. Yep. Yeah. Okay. There is another cameo by Stanley, but it is on the deleted scenes. Oh, uh, what was the what was the deleted one? So in the deleted scenes, there is a lot more with Captain America, and okay. they decided to pull that stuff because it was kind of a lot of trying to adjust to the world and blah blah blah. And so mm. they decided to pull that and put it in his own movie instead of putting that in here. But do you remember at the end they're interviewing different people and there's that waitress? Yeah, the one that he saved in the in the thing. Right. So that waitress is actually in the deleted scenes. He goes to a cafe that she's at and they kind of are talking and flirting and stuff. And then as she walks away, Stan Lee turns around and says, "Ask for her number, you moron." <laughs> That's cute. Yeah. This is this pre this is obviously pre the attack. Pre the attack. This yep. waitress is one of the people that are in the building that he rescues. Yep, because this is supposed to be before they're all together and just mm. kind of following Steve Rogers around oh, in the okay. in the world yeah, now, the trying world. Sure. to uh, get accustomed to the old know. fish out of water scene, right? Yeah, kinda yeah. a little bit. It wasn't too bad, but I understand why they pulled it because sure. you've got so many people. In well, this. it's not meant. This isn't meant to be a character piece for everybody. This right. is supposed to be the everybody coming together. Your character yep. pieces can stay in your individual. Right, movies. and that's why they pulled them. This ain't the X Men, buddy. No. So. Yep. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about the end credit scene. Okay, we have two. We have mid credit scene where the Chitari leader meets with his master, and he says something along the lines of attacking Earth is to court death. And the shadowy figure turns its head and we see that it's Thanos. And at the idea of courting death, Thanos smiles. When I first saw this, I had no idea who the fuck that was. Of course you didn't. <laughs> Why like, would you ever know? Who is that? Um, Purple also, dude at the end of the Avengers is probably going to be the bad guy in the next with, one. Watch. With this dude with this weird chin. I don't know. Yeah. Um, also, I had listened to a podcast a while ago about this movie. Mm -hmm. And... 
one of the podcasters was saying the theater that he was in, everybody was like, oh, it's Hellboy. So Hellboy? It, yeah. So a lot of people who are not comic book people had no clue who this dude oh was. Oh, my God. Wait, what? what is this? Is this the now playing guys? Yeah. They said that somebody thought it was Hellboy? Yeah, That's there was somebody hysterical. that said in the theater there was a few people that were like, oh, look, Hellboy. That is hysterical. <laughs> <laughs> I now, know I, it's not Hellboy, but I didn't know who the heck it was. Those of us in the know yep. geeked the fuck out because here's the thing. In the comics, the whole reason that Thanos gets the Infinity Gauntlet is that he, okay, when he was a child, he was cared for by death, the embodiment of death. He fell in love with the embodiment of death and he wants to impress her. The idea of murdering half of the universe is to show fealty to death. He wants a little bit of death nookie. That's what he's after. So when this guy, when this Chitari leader says to court, the to attack Earth is to court death, and Thanos smiles, everybody in the know went, holy fuck, they're going to do it? They're going to make Thanos go after death? <laughs> he wants death booty, and they're going to put it in a movie? And then they didn't. No. Now, I was just going to say, to be fair, mm -hmm. most of these movies, the end credit scene comes up and you're all like giddy, like, oh my God, oh my God, that's so cool. And I'm like, <laughs> what just happened? I have no idea. <laughs> I have no idea who this person is, what this is supposed to mean. I don't know. So I have to wait for you to explain it to me. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes I can't even explain it because a lot of it's like Avenger shit that I don't know. Look it up you online. Know? What like, is this? <laughs> now, the last one, that Captain Marvel, or that Marvel's one that we saw last year, holy shit, that was X-Men. That was good shit. Yeah. So that's right up my alley. I didn't need anybody to explain any of that shit to me. Oh, I, I, did, exactly I knew that one. What, I knew that too. Yes, you did. You know you did. Because I keep, I keep feeding you stuff. Eventually, you're going to know all of this stuff too. You're gonna be like, I don't oh need God. to read the comics. I just listen you just to have you me. Tell me. I'll just rant about what they got wrong. <laughs> they did it wrong. I'm just kidding. They didn't do it wrong, guys. They just did it differently. It was just... The way I look at it, so just so we have a frame of reference, the way I look at comic book movies in general, is just another writer and artist creating a character's story. So like in comics, you know, you got your Chris Claremont who wrote X-Men for 13 years or whatever it was, right? And he was followed by another writer and another artist. That was just another interpretation of the X-Men. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they'll relaunch the whole thing. They'll start over. Be like, oh, this is, we're going we're gonna to scrap this. We're going to start over. Mm -hmm. Start over with new writer, new artist. So, like, when I'm watching these movies, like, watched, I've watched three Punisher movies now, three different Punisher movies. To me, it's just another writer and another artist. It may not hit with me. It might hit with me. But it's just another writer and another artist making a new comic book mm -hmm. on, the, on the big screen. That's the way I look at it. It's my interpretation of it anyway. All right. So, the, the final end credit scene we get are the, is the Avengers eating shawarma at a local restaurant while the owner of the diner cleans up in the background. And that's all it is. It's just them eating shawarma. Not saying a word. Just yeah. So at the end, when Stark wakes up, after the Hulk catches him, right? Yep. He says, "Hey, how's everybody doing? Let's not come in tomorrow. Anybody want shawarma?" Yeah. Um, he wants to try shawarma. He's never tried yeah. shawarma before. And, and so he because try. of that ad lib, that oh, was an I know. ad lib. I know it. Then they went back and filmed this scene. Now the funny thing is, is Chris Evans is in. 
when they redid this, he was in a movie, Snowpiercer, and they were filming oh, yeah. that. And in that movie, he has a giant beard, I guess. Yeah. He's got this beard. And so they had to put like a prosthetic thing over his face. And so that's why you don't see him eating. And he's sitting there with his hand up on his jaw because he's hiding his <laughs> beard, basically. <laughs> That's better than digitally removing it and fucking up his lip, right? Yeah, so they, that's why he's kind of <laughs> hunched down and just on his on his hands. That's so. pretty funny. Yeah. That's pretty funny. I thought, you know what? There's always somebody. That, there's always some producer or director that's like, no, you're not going to shave that, you know? Mm-hmm. And you end up with a Henry Cavill like lip or you end up with this. Oh, that Superman thing was bad. Ooh, it was terrible. <laughs> oh, so bad. So bad. So bad. All right, that's it. That's Let's it. talk about our rankings. Jennifer, give us a star ranking for out of five stars and tell us why. I don't know what would get to a five star. I, I feel like this is really close, but I'm going to go four and a half. Okay. I love this movie. I, I've seen this one, I don't know how many times, at least once a year <laughs> since it's come out, I think. Yeah. I, I adore this movie. So 13, it's 14 times? so much fun. That's crazy. It's so much fun. I yeah. love these characters. I love the interactions. It's a great story. The visuals are so cool. I I don't have a lot to bad to say. I know I was nitpicking as we went, but honestly, when I'm watching this just for fun, I don't give a shit about any of that. <laughs> I just enjoy watching this. Yeah. There's a few slow spots up at the beginning while they're trying to build stuff, but it doesn't take long to get moving and get going, and, and it's it's just fine, so... I'm going to give it a four and a half. All right. I love this movie. Very good. How about you? I am also going to give this four and a half. Again, it, I'd say five stars for near-perfect movies. This is not a near-perfect movie. This is a decent movie. Very, very good movie, let's call it. It is on par with Iron Man, the first one. And again, I saw this in theaters between four and six times. It's been long enough now that I just don't remember exactly how many times, but I've seen it in theaters uh, like almost a half dozen times. And I loved it every single time. Never got tired of it. Still am to this day not tired of it. As much as I nitpick, as much as I complain about it, I nitpick and I complain about the stuff that I really love more often than not. You know? Because I want to pick those things apart. You know me. You know how my brain works. Mm -hmm. I'm going to sit there and I'm going to focus on that and I'm going to just narrow in on shit that I just love and I'm going to keep working at it until I figured it out. You know? Yep. And this movie, this movie fits the bill. Is it The Godfather? No. Is it like the greatest movie of all time? No. Within the realm of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, it is top tier. It might be one of the top three Marvel Cinematic movies. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Four and a half for me. Absolutely. 100%. Excellent. Okay, so let's... That's the end of season one. We're done. Season one, closed. Marvel Cinematic Universe phase one is season one. What is season two? All right, to celebrate, I don't know, honor, <laughs> I don't know, tax season. We're honor? Tax season right now. Like, on. Honor's on, not right Honor now. and celebrate do not go along with tax That's season. why I said right it like right questioning. I don't know. Yeah, no, I get it. I just, I, <laughs> Punishing like, ourselves? I don't to know. To punish ourselves and think more about taxes than we are right now. We're going to do tax season. And the movies we're going to cover are The Untouchables, mm-hmm. The Firm, Shawshank Redemption, Stranger Than Fiction, and The Accountant. Okay, so these are all movies that in some way, shape, or form deal with taxes, or accounting. accountants, accounting, something, right? Mm-hmm. So we've got 
We've got, I think, Stranger Than Fiction, the guy's an accountant. There's an accountant in the firm. The, the accountant in the Ben Affleck movie is an accountant, even though he's a bad accountant, if you ask me. But we'll get there. <laughs> and that's saying a lot if I'm recognizing that as a bad accountant. <laughs> um, and then in Shawshank Redemption, Andy Dufresne is an accountant. Yep. And what's the other one? Untouchables. Untouchables. We all know, well, if you know, you know, that Al Capone was taken down by an accountant. So that's what this season's about. I just want to bring up real quick yeah. that Al Capone thing. Yeah. I think almost every accounting class I've ever taken, that is brought <laughs> up in one of those classes. Like, I think like, the accountants are like, yeah, look at us. We can take down Capone. The, I think the accountants are all like, it's not completely boring. We can take down like Al Capone. So <laughs> yeah. maybe you just consider See, that look, next time look. you need. <laughs> now, if you need to consider taking someone down, talk to an accountant. Yeah. So okay. So next week we're gonna start season two, episode one. What's the movie we're gonna start with? Though? The Untouchables. Is it The Untouchables? Okay, I couldn't remember. I had it all written down, and I I don't have the notes. You're here to keep me on track anyway. So whatever. <laughs> Fuck it. So next week, The Untouchables, right here on the couch. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks for joining us for season one of the all new, all different of you from the couch. Take care. You have been listening to a view from the couch visit our new website, thecouchpod.com, where you will find a calendar of upcoming releases, links to our podcast episodes, and you can sign up for our upcoming newsletter. You can also email our host directly at view at thecouchpod.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a five-star review on the podcast platform of your choice. Every review helps us get noticed. Thanks for listening.